Our scripture lesson this evening is from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. We're going to be focusing really on uh, 8 and 9, but especially on the first couple words of verse 9. Resist him. Resist the devil. Fight the devil. There's a theme that we hear in the Word of God, and we want to consider that this evening, taking our cue from 1 Peter 5. Beginning at verse 6, this is the Word of God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, cast, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we have heard this word this evening to resist the devil. But we've also heard that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. It's a bit of a juxtaposition, isn't it? But quite a contrast. Resist the devil, but he's a roaring lion. And, and I don't know if I've ever quite thought about this uh, uh, as much as I do when I, as a minister, and you've had the same experience as congregation members, hear this line from one of the prayers in our baptism form, which says this, we ask God in the prayer to give the baptized person courage to fight against and overcome sin, the devil, and his whole dominion. But of course, in, in, in my experience, in your experience perhaps, Often that prayer is prayed over a little child. And I have wondered on many occasions, what are we to make of this prayer? This child, make him resist the devil? How is this child supposed to fight the devil? So my hope this evening is if we can answer that question and wrestle with that phrase, to use that perhaps unexpected phrase from a prayer in our baptism form, to try to better understand what it means to fight the devil. I mean, if we, if we can pray this for children of the covenant, then it's appropriate for every person in the covenant. And so to better understand what it means to resist and to fight the devil. So I want, I want to actually spend just a moment to, to, to consider the, the prayer itself from the baptism form and especially the history of that prayer, to sort of begin to wrestle with, is this appropriate? Can we, can we pray for children and for all people to actually resist the devil, to fight the devil, to overcome the devil? Um, and if so, if that's an appropriate prayer, how do we do it? How do we resist the devil? How can we be devil fighters? So what is the history, first of all, then, of renouncing the devil in baptism as this prayer teaches us to do. And we may be surprised to know that, that the this, this renunciation of Satan in baptism has a rich Protestant history. 
The 16th century book of Common Prayer, which was heavily influenced by John Calvin, uh, asks adults coming for baptism and parents asking on behalf of their infant children, do you renounce the devil and all of his works? Martin Luther retained that language in uh, his church's baptism ritual, but the rite is actually much older than that. Uh, The church father, Tertullian, who died in 240, wrote this, When we are going to enter the water of baptism, but a little before, in the presence of the congregation, we solemnly profess that we disown the devil and his pomp and his angels. The renunciation of Satan became an established church tradition in the West by the 4th century. still used in, in many Uh, church fellowships around the world. The language in our form has changed from uh, from that of the apostolic age, but the point is the same. Baptism represents a transition from death to life, from darkness to light, from satanic allegiance to union with Christ. And so it's, it's right that our baptism form In that form, we pray that God would help this child to resist the devil, to fight against him with courage. To renounce the devil is to refuse to recognize or abide by his authority any longer. It is an emancipation proclamation. It is an act of revolution. It is a declaration of war. And so, just taking this little phrase from one of our baptism prayers as a springboard, we we ought to recognize that it's right for us to pray, even for little children, that that they would resist the devil and flee from him. And so we have this rich history of renouncing the devil, beginning at baptism. But but are we able to do it? I mean, we not only look at this little child coming for baptism, but if we look at our own selves, we know our weakness, we know our frailties, and we say, can I really resist the devil? Uh, Peter says, resist him. And so I want to secondly ask the question, is it possible for us to resist the devil? He's strong, he's roaring, he's powerful. And, and we must confess at, at, at first, no, it's not possible for us to resist the devil on our own. On our own, we are less able to resist Satan than Eve was in the garden. We're less able. Our our natures are poisoned. We've had generations of bad examples. In our own strength, we, like Judas, would submit to doing Satan's works as loyal children to a bad father. But God appointed a Savior. And and we're told at the very first glimpse in the Bible of the gospel promise that the Savior would crush the head of the serpent. So his mission was to come and not only resist the devil, but crush him. And, And 
We see this in, in the New Testament as well. The Apostle John writing in 1 John 3 verse 8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so we're, we're coming through or, or into Christmas season, however you understand that, and we need to recognize that's one of the chief reasons Jesus came, to, to destroy the works of the devil. The devil who had been wreaking havoc in the world had kept, you might say, the, the world in, in, in much darkness, generational darkness. Many countries, many people groups had been in darkness generations. And God says, at the right time, I'm sending my son as light into a dark world to destroy the works of the devil. And that's what we see in Jesus' ministry, isn't it? So, so John says in 1 John 3, that's why Jesus appeared, to destroy the, de the works of the devil. And, and when Jesus appeared, that's what we see. Jesus puts it uh, very poignantly in talking his, to his disciples. In Matthew 12, verse 29, he says, I am plundering Satan's house. Well, he told a, a sort of a mini parable, didn't he? He said, no one can plunder the house of a strong man unless he first binds the strong man. And that was meant to be a sign that Jesus' kingdom had come because he was plundering the house of Satan. People were getting converted. Demons were crying out for, 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 for mercy. Jesus Christ has come on the scene and, and clearly the, the strong man is bound. The disciples Jesus sent out to preach the gospel they themselves perceived that the demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus. You see, in Jesus, the devil is being beaten back. Jesus told them in that context, Luke says it this way in chapter 10, verses 17 through 19, uh, quoting Jesus in these words, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's the, uh, an, an indication of the end of, a, of an era, so to speak, isn't it? And so he says, Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. We're, we're wrestling with this question, is, aren't we? Is it possible for me to resist the devil? How can I do that? I'm weak. The devil is a prowling lion. I don't feel like a lion. I don't feel like I can engage uh, that kind of a strong man, to use Jesus' language. But Jesus says, I'm binding, I bound the strong man. And he tells the disciples, the, the first leaders of the church of Jesus, that I've given you authority over all the power of, enemy, of the enemy. The Apostle John paints this picture, this very encouraging picture in his revelation Chapter 20, he says this, he saw this, he said, I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, restricting him from deceiving the nations. So you see, this is what, what, what Peter says here, when he says resist him. He's not calling us to draw on our own resources. He's not telling us to imagine that we're big and that Satan is small and to sort of imagine success over him. He's saying, 
That's why Jesus has come, to destroy the works of the devil. You can't resist him on your own, but in Christ, you can. Satan does still prowl and devour, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, but one of our seminary professors writes this, he does so with the desperate and angry struggle of a defeated foe. Jesus rules over the devil as a doomed enemy. Another theologian said this, the cross marks Satan's defeat, and Satan knows it. God's victory over Satan is as decisive as if the devil were already dead and buried. This is what we're supposed to understand about the power of the cross. Of course, there's all kinds of facets that we can, in which we can see the beauty and the glory of God in the cross. But one of those facets is that Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil, which alone enables us to resist him. And that's why the Heidelberg Catechism in question and answer 74, I think helps us understand that prayer in the baptism form, that children too may have the courage to fight against Satan because as the Catechism puts it, Children, too, are promised deliverance from sin and the Holy Spirit who works faith. Right? And so God promises to children, no less than to adults, in the words of Romans 16, 20, to soon crush Satan under your feet. Isn't that something? He doesn't say, I'll crush Satan shortly under my feet, but under your feet. And he says that to his covenant people, those who are trusting in Jesus and who are through uh, the vows made in baptism and a lively faith, renouncing the devil, saying, I'm no servant of the devil anymore. I don't have to serve you, devil. And I have the power to resist you because of the power that raised Christ from the dead is working in me by the Holy Spirit. So the prayer is right. Children plus Jesus are stronger than Satan. And then that's true for adults as well. So it's an encouraging reminder to us as we go out into a world in which Satan seems to be working so powerfully and we're tempted to have a defeatist attitude and we say, you know, what can I do? I'm just, a, just one person or we're just one little church or we're just one denomination or we're just one network of reformed churches or just, you know, so many believers around the world. Well, Christ is defeating Satan. And he's shown that that will happen at the cross. It's a guarantee of God's victory and it gives us a groundswell of good news to believers and their children. So that's what Peter is saying, first of all. When he says resist him, he's saying you, you can resist him in Christ. Right? This isn't, this isn't just sort of a, a platitude or just some holy idea. You, you can and must resist the devil. It's one of the reasons Jesus came. And he's going to defeat Satan, crush him under your feet soon. So how do we do that? I want to close with this third point this evening by asking this question. How can we not only raise devil fighters, 
going back to the, the covenantal context and the baptism form, but, but actually be devil fighters ourselves. How do we resist the devil? Let me give seven brief answers to that question. First of all, using the language of Ephesians 4.27, as one of our translations puts it, give the devil no foothold. That's sort of a military image, isn't it? Give the devil no foothold. Give the devil no beachhead to land on. The devil loves opportunities to establish himself in the hopes of gaining more ground. Identify those open doors and close them up. Those doors by which Satan might enter your family's life. Spotty church participation, ungodly media, undisciplined, demoralizing speech in the family, grumbling, any, any number of other footholds, potential footholds for the devil. Give the devil no foothold. Give him no opportunity. Number one. Number two, put on the full armor of God. The Apostle Paul writes that in Ephesians chapter 6 uh, in the context of calling us again to stand firm or to resist the devil. And he warns us in, in Ephesians chapter 6. He says the devil is wily. He's a schemer. He attacks weaknesses. And so to stand against him, you must put on God's armor, the defensive armor, the, the offensive armor, truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace. Put on faith, salvation, scripture, prayer. So what Paul is saying is, don't, don't think about fighting the devil on your own. Put on the full armor of God and fight the devil in God's provision. Number three, resist the devil by being spiritually serious. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. The verse before, he says, resist him. He says, be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I realize that all illustrations fall apart at some point, but you know, you watch these nature shows where there's a prowling lion coming after a, some herd of wildebeest or whatever it is, and you think to yourself, someone's going to get picked off here. Probably the unwatchful one, the careless one. That's an image that we at least ought to have in our minds. Be watchful. The devil has easy work in spiritually casual minds, in spiritually casual families. And if we could tie that idea into baptism, as we began this evening, at least in, in connection with that prayer, isn't it true that too many families are eager to welcome into their home a beautiful little baby? I mean, it's wonderful to have, oh, look at this you know, we've, we've got a child, and beautiful, and cute, and innocent. But, but too, too few are, 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 are willing to prepare him or her for spiritual battle. Now, we don't, we don't necessarily look at little children and say, how am I going to raise this child to fight against the devil? And so we can become spiritually careless, spiritually unwatchful. But Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, be spiritually serious. 
And number four, we resist the devil by being a faithful church member. Again, to use that imagery of the prowling lion, whether you see it on a nature show or just understanding the image from the text, um, there, there's strength in a godly community. If, if we're going to resist the devil, we're not going to do it well alone. And if we take the devil seriously at all, then we would say to ourselves, I, I don't want to be a spiritual wanderer. I don't want to be casually committed to the church. The author to the Hebrews says this, do not neglect to meet together, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. And he goes on to say that the day of the Lord will consume the spiritually neglectful. It's one of the ways we can do this, to be a faithful church member, again, thinking about raising also godly children, is to be so predictable in your church participation that it never crosses your children's minds to ask, are we going to church today? Are we going to church tonight? And I think probably there are many people here who, who growing up, knew that that was a fruitless question to ask to mom or dad. You know, can we stay home today? I hope none of us wanted to ask that question. But, but if you did ask the question, you probably knew, many of you probably knew, there's no use in asking. Of course we're going to church. I mean, to put it a different way, instead of saying, are we going to go to church today? What if we ask this question, are we going to pass on meeting with God and using the means of grace? To go back to Psalm 63, which we read this evening, are we going to pass on meeting with God in the sanctuary and beholding his glory and his power? Well, we can't pass. Because your adversary is a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Be a faithful church member. And then five, live in the Bible. Of all the media in your home, make the Bible the most important. Read the Bible, believe the Bible, memorize the Bible, talk about the Bible, practice the Bible. Right, this is, this is one of the ways that we cast our anxieties on God, as Peter says in verse 7. One of the ways that we resist him. We, 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 we understand God's will by being in the word of God. We understand our suffering, as he says in verse 10, because it's been translated for us in the Bible that we're invested in. And then number six, we resist Satan by praying against him, by actively praying against Satan. And I think, I don't know your background, but I think I myself, I certainly grew up in a, in a, in a context much like many of you probably, in which I don't remember ever being taught to pray against the devil. But I like what Martin Luther says about this. He says, since we are far too weak against the devil and all his forces arrayed against us, there is nothing for us to do on earth but to pray without ceasing against this arch enemy. To pray against him. To do, even as the, Mike, uh, the archangel Michael did, as recorded in Jude 1 verse 9, to say to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. Well, that may sound strange, maybe if it sounds a little, a little frightening or a little intimidating, but the Lord is on our side. We cast our anxiety upon him and we pray with courage and confidence against the devil. 
And that's the seventh thing that we ought to remember as we hear Peter's admonition to resist the devil. And that is, finally, to, to know that Jesus is greater. Know that Jesus is greater. Satan is scary. He's a lion. But at the cross, Jesus destroyed him. His power, as Hebrews 2 verse 14 says. And, and because Jesus is greater, believers overcome him by the power of the blood of the Lamb shed on Calvary. Revelations 12, 11. Christ is our champion against every opposition, against our sworn enemy, Satan. He's the greater David going against Goliath. And we put our confidence in our champion. Jesus is greater. Jesus was promised at the first gospel hint to come and crush the serpent's head. And we have a record of that happening in the Gospels and in the articulation of that in the epistles. And we have an image of it in the book of Revelation. So God is doing it. He's destroying the devil. It's why Jesus came. And so God, through James and Peter and Paul and other apostles, commands us to resist the devil. James 4, verse 7. He also promises that the devil will flee from those who do resist him. And that promise is for believers, for every believer, and for their children, for all those who renounce the devil and all of his ways, all of his schemes, and hold tight to Jesus Christ, trusting that the one who holds on to them more tightly is more than able to defeat the evil one. Let's remember this as we as we sort of look back on, on this year, and as we look forward to a new year, remembering that Jesus has come to destroy our enemy, and he's called us to march in step with him, resisting him, and he, knowing that he will flee from us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much that though we live in a world that has become so tumultuous because our first parents gave in to the temptation whispered into the ear by the evil one, we know that Satan is not in control of history. It wasn't in control of 2020. He won't be in control of 2021. He isn't in control of the world. He isn't in control of the church. We thank you that Jesus Christ has come as promised to defeat Satan at the cross. And so we with the Apostle John can look ahead as if it has already happened to see not only Satan bound, but presently to be cast into the lake of fire. We pray that you would bless this congregation. We pray that we would fight diligently against the devil's schemes and against his interest in division within the church and all of the other things that can cause us to stumble. And we pray that you would give us courage and strength to fight against the devil and his servants and all of his ideas. And we pray this in the name of our conqueror and victor, Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll stand now together and sing our song of application number 480, uh, sorry, 406, 
Stanzas 1 and then 6 through 9. 1 and 6 through 9 of 406. People of God, receive this benediction from the Lord, from uh, the book of Jude, uh, which begins with a call for us to contend earnestly for the faith, to fight, also resisting the devil, and concludes with these words of hopefulness in our victor Jesus. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.